I want to talk about, or the topic is interesting, and I didn't come up with this. It's practicing self-restraint. I was thinking about uh, talking about craving and really getting into the craving for sensual pleasure and the craving for existence and the craving for non-existence. And as I was thinking about it, I started thinking about the teaching that Philip Moffat gave a number of years ago. Philip Moffat's a very senior teacher up in Spirit Rock. He used to be editor of Esquire in the 70s. He's got quite an extraordinary history. And um, he gave this talk at a, it's just a short talk. I was at a conference a few years ago. And he gave this talk, and then it was in a book. It's in his book from Emotional Chaos to Clarity. And I really like it. It's it's not so much about craving, but it's more about renunciation, so letting go of craving. And renunciation is, is really important. It's a fancy, it's a multi-syllabic way of saying let go. And not just let go, but renouncing some action or thinking or something that you do, not so you'll just be a good person, because we said so, um, but because it actually is beneficial. When you let go, the suffering ceases or, or uh, lessens. It's when we're holding on to particular things that we, as I offered in meditation, there's, there's a constriction, there's a tightness, a, there's no space. But when you let go, there, there's a spaciousness that you allow to, um, you allow this spaciousness and then whatever wisdom is there your internal innate wisdom or the wisdom that you've developed over practicing and, and really shifting your perspective and seeing clearly, you make space to allow that to arise. So you learn to let go of what doesn't serve. And he talks about it in a, in a way that I really like and I think is funny. And is a, again, a different take. It's like, you know, there's um, the Buddha taught one thing, the, end, the nature of suffering and the end of suffering, but there's like four or 5,000 um, pages describing all the different ways he talked about it. And so we can come to these, I love the, the, the lessons and the, the, um, the experience that each of us brings to these teachings that we make them ours. You know, they're not something that sits on a shelf and then you just kind of read it every once in a while, but it's like, how do you apply it in your life? And so this is another take, um, and it works, these, this, this practice of renunciation works with craving and attachment. It's kind of the antidote. So what he talks about are three renunciations that he developed in his life. And I think are really good and they're really good to ponder. And the first one is to give up your attachment to being right. Oh. No? <laughs> Okay, <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> so, and, and you know, it's really interesting because we get, we get caught up in this. I, I, uh, I don't do it anymore, but I sure used to. I was so happy when I was right and you were wrong because I really enjoyed saying I told you so. Or even if I didn't say it, I thought it and I got this glee from it. You know, this great shot of pleasant experience, whatever, whatever that is. So um, 
moving away from that self-righteousness, that idea of it's I've, I've got the answers. That's that fixed view. And he talks about even though all the evidence points toward your point of view being correct, to see if you can let go of your attachment to that and your attachment to making sure everybody else knows it. That's the fine line that we're having um, an opinion based on the preponderance of facts flips into um, uh, a little more uh, clinging. I have this right view, this right view, and y'all should have it too. But you know that's never going to happen. Because people have different conditions and different perspectives, and they see things differently. Um, somebody was doing that last night, talking about the hearings, the impeachment hearings, and they were they posted two different headlines. I don't remember where they were from, but let's just say one was from MSNBC and one was from Fox News, and they were diametrically opposed to each other, but they were talking about the same thing. It's like you have two different. So you know, you can blow each other's brains out, or you can say, okay, this is not, this is, this is, how, how necessary is it for me to get my way and have you, am I going to have you see it my way? Am I going to postpone my happiness, or am I going to, and am I going to suffer around it with this self-righteousness, or just say, you know what, that's, um, that's that's an attachment I don't need to carry. Um, the other day, um, what was it? Oh, the other Thursday, I was um, Thursday. I, oh, I know it was. I was working at home this week. I had for the first time in a really long time. I had no appointments. I had no meetings. It was like really nice. And I had gotten a couple of Facebook messages from this woman who said, oh, I'm really looking forward to seeing you on Thursday. And I went, oh, great, she's coming to my class on Thursday. And I hadn't seen her in a while. She's like a Santa Monica person. I hadn't seen her in quite a while. And, and then I said, at like 11.58 on, um, on Thursday afternoon, I got this Facebook message from her. And I don't have Facebook on my phone. I just happened to be in front of my computer. And it said, um, the, the meeting starts at noon. Where are you? Are, is everything okay? And I had told, and I scrolled back in my my Facebook message from her, and I had been I had uh, agreed to come to this meeting and talk at a meeting back in June. She invited me, but I never wrote it down in my I never wrote it in my calendar. So all this time she's checking, and you're gonna be there. We're gonna see you on Thursday, and I'm like, oh yeah, that'll be cool. And then I'm like. And I live in Burbank, and the meeting was in Calabasas, so there's like no way I was getting there in two minutes. So I'm like, oh, so the where this falls into this teaching for me is that non I had I was not attached to like being that person who was always so efficient and always so right, and I you know. I want, if I promise to do something, I want to show up, but it did not destroy me. You know, I was not, I was mortified, but I wasn't destroyed by it. It's like, oh man, I fucked up. I'm so sorry. And so it, she said, it's fine. You know, it, it worked out because things work out. 
things work out. It's when we're so attached to needing it to look a certain way. Let go of those views. And there's a tremendous amount of freedom in that. Um, so, and, and what Moffat talks about is not getting your self-worth from being right or getting your self-worth about having everybody acknowledge that you're right, that, that I told you so, you know, because the self-esteem just like grows when people acknowledge that, man, you, you nailed this. Instead, it's, again, it's about having that worth and that sense of ease and comfort coming from your core values, coming from what's important. Are you showing up in a way that's wise? Are you showing up in a way that's kind, non-harming? You know, take the take the uh, take the take the eightfold path. Take the sila, the integrity part of the eightfold path. Take the precepts. Is that how you're showing up? That's where you want to have your your balance come from. Oh yeah, I'm doing that. My intention, my I, I just now know that I I can't remember everything. I've known that for quite some time, but just be a little bit more. Um, uh, be a little bit more uh, efficient in, or, you know, I can't even think of the word, just be better at writing things down or putting it into my calendar. So, um, you know, watching, get, just give up your attachment to being right. Um, and be open to new understandings. Just because you've always thought things to be a certain way doesn't mean that's what they are. Because if you get into neuroscience, you see memory actually changes based on experiences. It's like the Buddha had it. Buddha nailed it. Now he was right. He nailed it when he talks about the. Um, um, Hi, can I help you? You say you could give me a cup of coffee. We don't have any coffee. Sorry. No, the, yeah, sorry. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Um, so, um, the brain, neurons that fire together, wire together, it's like these memories and these thoughts that hang out together, they kind of influence each other. So, if you look back on your life and things that you firmly believed, that you still think you firmly believe, have they changed? A lot of times they do. And, and it's great when you've kept journals and you can look back at them 40 years later and go, oh shit, that's not what happened at all. Because I've done that. It's really like, it's, um, it's a great, it's, it's humbling. And it's humbling. And if you can remember that, then there's a little bit of, you know, you can carry that humility with you and go, oh, I don't have to be attached to being right. I don't have to be attached. You know, it's like I'm willing to say, maybe I forgot. Maybe I'm wrong. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. So let go of that. Um, so watch how you're, you're stuck. So good to see you. Um, And just reflect a little bit, you know, where do you get stuck? Where do you need to be right? It's, it's, it's okay not to be. It's okay not to be.
Um, you know, and then you can take this conversation further into, you know, um, I think when you base your ideals on core values of, um, especially around the precepts and around uh, sila and the uh, and integrity and the Eightfold Path, you can, you know, give it those, those parameters of, is it harming or non-harming? Is it kind? Is it not kind? Is it true? Is it not true? Those, you know, with how you're showing up and how others are showing up. So that's, those are really good yardsticks. Any questions on any of this stuff? You said that the Buddha nailed it, and then you can say something about that. And when she left, and you talked about something. Oh, I, was ta- I thought I was talking about, oh, now, now you've done it. Now. Um, <laughs> Well, the Buddha nailed it when he was talking, oh, thank you. Yeah, the, he nailed it when he was um, talking about the conditioned mind and how we're so conditioned. And neuroscience is showing that. You know, we're impacted by our experiences and the, and the, and the thoughts. Um, you know, that's what they, the ideas that hang out together in our minds. This is not scientific lingo at all. Our languaging, but they they impact and influence each other. So even our internal, the internal workings are, of our brain are conditioned and constantly changing, constantly changing. So this firm ground upon which I stand is really just quicksand, and um, there's no solidity. It moves and shifts all the time, and get comfortable with that. Can you be comfortable with that? So if you can let go of this need to have it your way, there's tremendous freedom in that, tremendous freedom. So the next piece he talked about was stop measuring your worth by your success in the world. You know, success, getting what you want or meeting these outside criteria. Your success, your success if you have a billion dollars. And if you don't, it's what have you done wrong? Or of course, now I see that even billionaires cry because they, you know, somebody might take some of their money away. So sad. <laughs> so, so sad. <laughs> of course, Elizabeth Warren, I just saw she has a coffee cup now. It's called Billionaire's Tears. <laughs> She's selling. Anyway, um, so it's like, how, how impacted are you? And it, it, this is so important. This is the conditioning. If you're not paying attention, you're just going to be dragged around by your nose. Pay attention. It's, it's so insidious that even, even when you are in this practice, knee-deep in this practice, and paying attention, paying attention, paying attention, it still comes in and your mind can go there, oh, I should do this, I should, I should, uh, I really need to get this missing tooth fixed because then people will like me better or they won't judge me or whatever, you know, those types of things. Should, 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 should. And then if you're paying attention, because then it's like, oh, I'm, like these commercials, I hear these commercials for um, dentists saying, do not smile because you don't like your teeth. But that kind of thing, it does have an impact because people feel self-conscious and or body image stuff that the messaging that's out there you have to look a certain way and 
Once you're above a certain age, you are now invisible. You are not seen at all. You're not, and now there's this okay boomer thing. And it's like, which is like, really, who cares? <laughs> but people are like, you know, and it's like, and, or the millennial thing, of like, like, who cares? In the big scheme of things, it's actually not important. But you can get so hooked into it. I don't know why I want to say pay the fuck attention. I don't know if that's the right grammatic usage for it, but, you know, pay attention. Because even if you are paying attention the most of the time, it still is, can grip you. The world can grip you. So don't measure your success or don't measure your worth by your worldly success. Because, again, that changes depending on what's hot and what's not. It changes all the time. Just watch fashion. Watch hairstyle. Watch eyebrows. I mean, I watch the eyebrows like big, thick ones are, are popular, and then pencil thin ones. And it's like, well, who's right? Who's right? I don't know. It's, it's just so be careful. And again, Sila, integrity, do you live your life in tune with your core values? Hoping your core values are offered are, are the ones that the Buddha has offered us to, to follow, that that non-harming, that compassion, that kindness, that wisdom. Really important. Really important. So um, yeah, don't look outside yourself for, again, that's that outside um, um, validation. That's never enough. It's never enough. There's always one more. So let go of that if you can. Not saying that, I mean, we all have these tendencies. We all want to be liked. We all have, all have this conditioning that we deal with that impacts us in, in many, many ways and to pay attention and see if that's, if that's causing suffering. Is it causing suffering? That's the question that you always ask. Is it causing dissatisfaction, dis, um, anxiety, stress? If you're getting stressed out by these things, can you let go? How important is it? Really make the effort to let go of that stuff. And the last one I love. Give up being the star of your own movie. It's not all about you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I like those eyebrows. <laughs> you know, give up being the star of your own movie, which is how we kind of see the world, um, that everything revolves around us to a certain extent. And it makes sense because we have to take care of ourselves and we have to make sure that we're getting our needs met and, 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 and have a roof over our heads and shelter and connection, but it's not all about us. I remember a time when years ago, when I was a teenager, I'd get on a bus and people would be laughing and I knew they were laughing about me. And they just had no clue I existed. But we're so sensitive. It's like, oh, it's got to be about me. So to let go of that. We let, look at everything through our own personal lens. And again, that's tunnel vision. And the Buddha says, step back, big picture. 
You know, that's that, that idea of um, self, that fixed sense of self in anatta. Let go of it. Let go of it. It's not personal. It's not about you. This didn't happen because. I would be happy if y'all just worked out and did it better. I would be much happier. But you're not. So I'm doomed to sadness. <sighs> you know, it's... What just popped into my head is this... Um, the practice of deep listening, and we do it in, in, in classes like this or in retreat where you practice in dyads, where you listen to another person and you actually listen to them and see how hard it is. I, I hear this again and again with people who've not done this very much. When you are simply receiving the words of the other person, maybe 80% with your body and only 20% with your mind, and you're actually just receiving, and you're getting out of yourself. And it's really um, much more profound way to receive the other person and be present and give um, your attention. It's an act of generosity. And you're not thinking about what you're going to say next. How often do you do that? Wait for the other person to be quiet so you can speak. You miss, we miss so much. Because we're focused on us. Focus, nowadays, you don't even get, not even focused on us. We're focused on, I see people in their devices. I was watching somebody who was walking down the block today in an alley, and this woman was walking down an alley, and she's kind of meandering, and there was a van behind her just trying <laughs> around her, and she's just like looking at her phone. And, just, and I'm like, don't get her. <laughs> I probably would have done that. I don't know if I would have done that, but it's like, we're oblivious to what else is going on. So really, pay more attention. Um, I talked about this a few weeks ago, the, uh, the interview I heard with Will Smith. And he was talking about he had boxed himself into Will Smith. And he was only, he wouldn't do anything that seemed to fall out of the idea of what Will Smith would do. You know, what would Will Smith do? And if it didn't seem to fit that persona, then he wouldn't do it. And he found he was miserable. So he turned 50 earlier this year, and he said, once I turn 50, I go, what? He said, what am I doing? And he started doing all these things that Will Smith probably wouldn't do. Or if people saw him doing it, they would go, how could he do that? You know, be all judgy on it. And he's like, he's, he's been having the best time because there's a freedom, there's a letting go. He doesn't need to be the star of his own movie. He can just be whoever he is, not Will Smith. So again, that fixed view, fixed view that psychiatry, that self-view that we have, is what you're doing fit what you think? Or are you, know, are you trapped? Oh, I can't do that because. What will they say? What will they think? You know, and the unfolding of our life, just the unfolding of our life as it is, as it unfolds, as, it, as things happen, as they don't happen, as the, the turnings of our lives is really the heart of the matter. 
And that's, that should be, um, that's the heart of each moment. Just the unfolding, just the experience of right now, right now, right now, without all the conditioning that drops in on it. Um, yeah, learn how to respond, not react. There's a lot of freedom in that letting go, a lot of it. Um, watching the control and the perfection. Anybody controlling our perfection? <laughs> no, no, I know. No, no, I know we're all beyond that in this room. Which is great. So um, yeah, that's so just lot I think these are great little practices of renunciation. So um, give up your attachment to being right. Can't remember them without running them down. Oh well. Stop measuring your worth by your success in the world and quit being the star of your own movie. And then he and, and then he talked about something about the ordinary compulsions, which are these things that we don't even realize we do, these little habits. Like if some you see um I wish I could remember. Uh, I don't have an example. I didn't write an example down. I had one the other night, and now it's gone. But just those habits that we, you know, um, your shoes always have to be in a certain place in the closet. Or, you know, if things aren't just how you want them to be, it's not okay. If somebody parks in your spot, mm -hmm. Even if there's no assigned parking, but you always park there and somebody else is there, it's a little bit of the habits that turn into little compulsions, minor ones. And I, I mentioned this, I think, last week or the week before. I find that those are the ones that cause more stress and anxiety than the bigger ones. The bigger ones we brace ourselves to deal with. Although the big ones do cause anxiety. Um, the little ones that we don't pay attention, that go below the radar, are the ones that add up and get us really kind of twitchy. So pay attention to if you're going about your business and you are in this should place, this should be, I have to, have to and should, let those be little red flags. Let go of those just daily, ordinary compulsions. It's really, there's so much freedom when you can just roll with the punches, just roll with the way it is. You know, like my compulsion of like, I can't ever forget and I can't ever flake on a meeting. Oh my God, that's not me. I have integrity. I always do what I say I'm going to do. And it's like, oh well, oh well. Shit happens sometimes. The Buddha said that shit happens. <laughs> and how can we how can we hold it when it does? I don't know. <laughs> you know the Arabic word for it, but <laughs> the Pali word for it. Dukkha. It's the Pali word for it. Dukkha, dukkha, dukkha. So um, that's that's that. Any questions about any of this? Any of this resonate? Anybody have any of this this stuff? I have the um, opposite thing. I never think I'm right. 
You never think it. Absolutely, absolutely. Because it's a rigid, it's a rigid point of view. Never right. Yeah. That that and and this is this is the subtlety that comes from our conditioning. You know, if you've if you've come up thinking, oh, I never get it right, then that's going to be your default instead of being open in the moment, which is what the invitation is to let, let what is that? The uh, unfolding of life itself is the heart of each moment. The unfolding, oh, is instead of I am wrong, you know, instead of I am, we, change, we shift it around and saying, oh, this seems to be correct, or this seems to be wrong. Or this anger is arising, or in, instead of putting it on and, and solidifying ourselves, allow it to be more malleable. A lot more freedom in that. But yeah, I love that. I'm always like, oh, must be my fault. There's always my fault. That's being the star of your own movie, too. It doesn't mean you're like, you know, Auntie Mame or um, Ethel Merman, you know. <laughs> doesn't mean that at all. It means that it's all about you even if you think you're a piece of shit. It's like, oh, I'm, it's all my fault. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's like none of us is that powerful. Where are you stuck? I'm thinking about this a lot this week. This realization of how often I will still pop up in my head that you need to do something you should that's my stuck place. And if I cannot somehow look at the frame and reframe it as an I, that means somebody else's good deception. <laughs> they should be different than they are. And um, yeah, noticing where I do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And you know, you do it with people you know, but then we do it on the bigger the bigger stage. We do it with the politics right now. They should be whatever it is. And everybody's thinking of that about everybody else. If they would, and it's like, you know what, this is the way it is. How do we work with what's happening right now and get out of, yeah, maybe they should, but let go of your attachment to that. That's where it's, it's the crashing and the burning. And he also talks in here about self-violence. And I think, I don't think it's ever, um, ever not good to be reminded of how we talk to ourselves and how we treat ourselves. And he talks about, you know, the busyness that can be self-violent, this addiction to busyness and addiction to workaholism and this addiction to all these types of things that are not beneficial. It's like um, all this stuff, you know, the, the TV was on, you know, this week. It was like, really, you don't have to have 14 straight hours, you know, do the impeachment hearings and then play it again. It's like, and people are sitting there and they're experiencing it and whatever. So it's be cautious how you, take, how you treat yourselves, internal messaging. Really important, really important. Anything else? Any questions about anything else? Does it make sense?